G'day everybody, my name is Elliot Waters and you're listening to The Dis Regulated Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is a big one because the date has been set. Elliot is officially going to the psychiatric ward, getting admitted at Maitland Private Hospital, which is great news. Hooray! This is great, great news. Yes, on one hand, it's a bit sad that Elliot's going to spend his birthday which is the 25th of October, by the way, if anyone wants to send me a nice message. But it is a bit sad that I'll spend my birthday in a psychiatric ward at age 32. But at the same time, this is great. This should have happened years ago. And finally, we might be able to change the trajectory that I've been on for so long, which has been pointing downwards. So before I explain what I'm actually in for by being admitted to the Maitland Private Psychiatric Ward, I do want to make mention of how I've survived the last few weeks, which have been, and I say this a lot, but it's true, the most difficult I've ever faced. And the way I've done it is to dull myself down so much that I'm like a husk and I feel very little emotion, either good or bad. And this has been done by taking large amounts of pregabalin, also known as Lyrica, and the benzodiazepine, diazepine, lorazepam. A problem I've found with this method is that my ability to remember small details about things, or even larger stuff, like going on a coffee with a friend, has just about, just about been wiped out. It is scary how much I have forgotten over the last few weeks It has all been a blur. It feels like I've been disassociating for weeks now. Like, for example, the last two episodes of the podcast I've done, which have appeared to be quite popular, I don't remember recording them. I do not remember recording them at all. And I certainly don't remember what I said in the episodes. And because I cannot stand listening to my voice, I have not gone back and listened to them and see what they were all about. But as I said, they've seemed to be pretty popular, so I don't know. Whatever I was saying in that disassociative haze, which I must admit I'm in at the moment as well, must have been good stuff. So that's, that's good. That's good news. But anyway, it's true. I don't remember doing them, and I do not remember what they're about, except for the title. It gives me a bit of a clue. So anyway, so if I repeat myself at all in this podcast episode, I do apologize But that is how I've gotten through the last few weeks, by trying to render my emotional centers and in turn, unfortunately, other parts of the brain, that's unavoidable. I've tried basically to make them unable to function, turn them off. The idea being that the intrusive thoughts I've been battling are unable to do their thing because if we think about it, the mechanisms for which they operate such as the different parts of the limbic system within the brain, which has a lot to do with emotion, have been switched off by these medications. Now, to me, I must say that sounds extremely sad, but that has been my reality, to try and crawl my way to hospital by essentially getting drugged up enough that I feel nothing. And the wait has been so, so difficult because there have been so many times like even yesterday, day before, there have been meltdowns that that push through the drug haze that I'm in and they're so strong that they overcome that and that we just fall apart. And the whole time I'm just thinking, this should be happening in a hospital bed. You know, I should be in hospital having this meltdown so the health 
professionals, mental health professionals can see firsthand what is going on. But that's why it's been so hard because we've just been waiting and waiting and waiting. But my mental illnesses have not let up. They know that we're going to hospital and they're in a bit of trouble. They don't want to go there because they know that they're in danger. So they are doing everything they can to stop us from going. But the way that I've been able to overcome that, unfortunately, is through the use of lots of pregabalin and lorazepam. But there is good news. So you may remember, I think, I don't know if I've said this in a previous episode, maybe I have, maybe I haven't, but a date had been set for me to go to the hospital, which was the 11th of November. And that was because I was on a two-month waiting period with my private health insurer. Now, we really, really need to get in a hospital ASAP. So my partner, who has been so amazing through all of this, did some calls for me. Because you may remember, if you've listened to past episodes, I have a massive fear for some reason of making phone calls, especially to places like private health insurers or, I don't know, you know telephone companies or, or whatever. I do not like making phone calls. It scares the living daylights out of me. So my partner, being so amazing that she is, did the calling for me. And I tell you what, my fear of phone calls, now that is something to work on in hospital, that's for sure, because it is debilitating. Anyway, anyway, so what happened was she rang the private health insurance and said, look, is there any way that we can get in quicker? Because this guy needs help now. And what we were able to do, and not all insurers do this, but HCF, that's my insurer, I just want to give them a shout out. They said that they would backdate the waiting period if we paid the difference. So we backdated it a month, and then that meant that I was now out of the waiting period and ready to go. So then I actually made the phone call, believe it or not, to Maitland Private and said, listen, guys, I know we're booked in for the 11th, but I'm telling you, we're ready to go. As soon as you got a bed for me, let's do it. And the good news is a bed will be ready for me on Monday. So that's like four days away. I've got four days to hold on, four days, thank goodness. So what will hospital be like? Well, I don't know. I haven't looked that much into it because I sort of want to go in, you know, not expecting anything, no expectations and and just get into it because I have a funny habit because I have an honours degree in psychology and because I have such an amazing podcast about mental health, I have this idea that I know more than these doctors that are trying to treat me, and I try and direct the course of treatment. Now, I've done that for a while with psychologists and psychiatrists and sort of, you know, I wouldn't say manipulate, but definitely go in there with a goal that I believe is what I need, and then try and really reframe the conversation so we head down that path. The fact is, though, we're in the worst mental health state we've ever been in. So whatever I've been doing, trying to direct things, has not worked. So I'll be going in there with a clear head, sort of, with no expectations at least, and ready and open and willing to listen to the mental health experts and follow their lead instead of me trying to get in front and drag them along with me. So... At minimum, you have to stay on the ward for three weeks. So I'm there for at least three weeks. I have a funny suspicion, which I'll mention a bit later on why I think I might be there a little bit longer than three weeks, but the minimum is three weeks. 
And during the first week, you can't leave the premises, which sort of makes sense because if we're chopping and changing medications and all this stuff, and if we're doing you know group therapy or individual therapy and we're diving into some pretty heavy things, you know we're not always sure how we're going to react to such situations or changes in our circumstances. So it's a good idea that during the first week that maybe we just stay on the premises where it's safe and just see how we go. Now, visitors are allowed, which is good, and day leave, if deemed suitable, is available from the second week onwards. So, as I said, I have a funny feeling I'll be there a little bit longer than three weeks, and I'll explain why. Now, a little bit about the hospital experience or what I've been told, which hasn't been that much. I know that, obviously, there's psychiatrists. I've already been assigned a doctor, which is good, and I've done my research, and he seems pretty pretty bloody good to be honest and my GP knows about him and said he was good too so that's great I'm excited about that um there's group therapy like I said individual therapy they've got a gym definitely be using the gym you know got to get the guns going get the self-esteem up and there's a pool as well so it's quite comprehensive I think they talk about nutrition as well and sleep hygiene and you know it's a very my impression is it's a very holistic approach to trying to get people back on track. And that really resonates with me. And it's good because that'll give me a lot of material, a lot of tips and skills that I can pass on to you guys through the podcast as well. Now, the first week is going to be hell for me. And I'll tell you why. Because my intrusive thoughts will be running wild and I will not have my partner around who is really the only antidote to this thinking. So unfortunately, because I have borderline personality disorder and it's coupled with OCD, these obsessions tend to fixate on my partner because that's what BPD does. It tries to ruin relationships. But the thing is, when she is around, the thoughts tend to subside. But when she's not around, that's when we're in big trouble and we have these meltdowns and things happen that shouldn't and it's not good. So she brings me back to reality. But unfortunately, like I said, when she's not around and I'm left to my own devices, these thoughts are able to torment me in whatever way they see fit. And man, are they good at what they do. So the first week without her around is going to be extremely difficult. Extremely. Obvious, the obvious point there is that I will miss her, obviously, duh, you know, because I care about her. But at the same time, there's that extra element, which is she is really the only sort of, you could say, antidepressant that works at the moment against these intrusive thoughts, except when, obviously, we have lots of pregabalin and lorazepam and we're just, you know, the the eyes are open, but the lights are off sort of stuff. And that's not good. So other than that, she is really the only way I'm able to sort of put them aside because I focus on her and being in the moment and being present and being mindful. So obviously the first week when I'm laying in that hospital bed at night, when my eyes close and my head hits the pillow, we all know that once your head hits the pillow at night and your eyes shut, if you've got things that are tormenting you, that's when they like to come out and play. And I think that first week is going to be full of a lot of those moments. It's going to be very, very hard. But again, hey, we're in there to stop this stuff from happening. So if I have a big meltdown and we we go, you know, all this emotional stuff happens, that's a good thing because the people 
that need to see it will be able to see it. And they'll say, right, okay, this is what we're up against. Let's come up with a plan so this doesn't happen anymore. So in a way, you know, it's a good thing that this will happen and the first week will probably be very, very dysregulated, dare I say it, because it needs to be. Because I need to be able to show the professionals what is going on. And I think it will be very obvious once I am admitted. Now, I do also want to say I don't see myself walking out of the psychiatric ward cured. I don't see myself walking out, hands in the air, all of a sudden all my mental illnesses are gone. I'm not that naive. I'm not that naive. But hopefully the experience will lift me out of this deep hole that I find myself in and at least get me back on the right track. And then if I'm armed with new skills, techniques, you know, and other ways to combat my negative thinking and anxiety that I haven't got in my arsenal at the moment, then we can really start to work towards, you know, a a life worth living, I suppose. So it will be up to me post-admission to really fight hard and stick to the plan. And I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be difficult. It will require a great deal of effort, but the rewards for example, just being able to be generally happy again, I'm sure will make the suffering worthwhile, but it's going to be a big ask, that's for sure. Now, I will say this too. This is probably almost the most important part of this episode. I am going to try and smuggle in my podcast recording gear so I can keep everybody updated on how the process is unfolding. If I can't bring my gear in, which I suspect will probably be the case, then I might try, I'm not sure, I haven't haven't given this a go yet, but I might try and record some short snippets on my phone maybe and see if I can get them uploaded. At the very least, I'm going to try and keep a journal and write in it every day if my ADHD allows it, which will provide, which it never has before, but this could be different, which will provide plenty of podcast material moving forward But more importantly, it will offer some great insights into how the whole psych ward thing works, how it impacts me and my mental health, and hopefully will illustrate that improvement and better mental health outcomes are definitely possible. Here's hoping. Fingers crossed. Oh, man. So this has been a long time coming. Like, seriously, I should have been admitted to a psychiatric ward for an extended stay. Remember, I've been in the public system for short stays before, but this is my first extended stay. This should have happened years ago, but finally it is happening, better late than never. So it won't be a quick task turning around this ship, that's for sure. We have 17 plus years of poor mental health practices, thoughts, emotions, behaviors, thinking patterns, beliefs, etc. to unwind and straighten out. We have eight diagnoses at present, which need separating and, and, and to be treated accordingly. So if you forget what they are, I have bipolar type 2 with recurrent depressive episodes, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, probable seasonal affective disorder, and of course, borderline personality disorder. So my goodness, there is a lot there that needs to be worked on. Like like seriously, just one of those on their own requires a huge amount of 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 intervention to if if it's severe enough to really get it those symptoms into remission and you know we've got eight of them there so this is going to be a huge ask but anyway we're going to the right place 
We're also on, let's not forget, multiple medications, which are sertraline, clonidine, pregabalin, lorazepam, vivance, and quetiapine. So included in this mix, we have an amphetamine stimulant prescribed at the highest dose. We have a benzodiazepine in lorazepam, which is extremely addictive and can cause significant withdrawal effects when seized, which includes, at its worst, and I'm not having dosages where this will really be a problem, but still, at its worst, it can cause seizures and death. And then there's also pregabalin that can be addictive as well. Even weaning off sertraline, the SSRI antidepressant, if that is the route that we go down, also has withdrawal effects like severe nausea and brain zaps. Now, brain zaps are sort of hard to explain, but it feels like your head is jolted every so often, which I've experienced many times before coming off different antidepressants, usually without recommendation from doctors, but hey, I know more than them. Anyway, um, yes, it's like your brain's jolted and I certainly don't recommend it. It is not fun at all. And then, of course, there is the antipsychotic quetiapine which is also known to be difficult to wean off and frequently causes insomnia. So there is a lot of work to do here. And that also doesn't include the fact that we've now been on over, I think I think we're up to 20 medications now we have tried, 20 different medications. And I wouldn't say any of them have done the job, none of them. Anyway, not to worry. I'm going to the right place to finally get this stuff sorted. It's going to be difficult because there's going to be things, you know, from my childhood, from my teenage years in particular, where I think a lot of this started, 16 years of age being the one in particular. There's going to be a lot to go through, but I'm at the right place to do it. And finally, finally, we are doing it properly. This is it. I'm telling you, this is the pivotal moment. This is when we need to turn this ship around because if this doesn't work, well, we're starting the run out of options. But we're going in with a positive mindset. We can do it. And I'm going to keep you updated every step of the way. This is going to be huge. So four days, I think it is. I'm very excited. And I'll probably leave it at that because that's a lot to go through. But anyway, thank you everybody for listening. I do appreciate it as always. I've had a few messages from listeners lately, which has been brilliant. So feel free to reach out if you want. You can follow me on Instagram at elliot.t.waters. And you can also follow the podcast at the dysregulated.podcast, both on Instagram, of course. So yes. And and please, if you could, if you do enjoy the show, feel free to give us a rating on your favorite podcast app because that really helps with the algorithms. And you can give me a review as well. I haven't had a review yet. So if someone wants to write a review, that'd be awesome. But please make it positive because I can't handle negative feedback and I can't handle conflict and all that stuff. So only five-star reviews, please. Anyway, that's enough from me. Thank you for listening. I do appreciate it. And I will be back soon with some more info and to keep you updated with how things are going. So thank you for listening. I do appreciate it like you have no idea. I really do. And I will see you next time on the next episode of the Dysregulated Podcast.